The first thing you can look to is like, is there any single use for dine-in? That's a solvable problem that every restaurant could take on. So at first kind of look at what you can control, which is all your dine-in. You know, it's surprising to see how many um, paper products are still existing or plastic products are still existing for the dine-in experience. What's up, Zach Oates here, author, entrepreneur, and customer relationship guru. Welcome to Give an Ovation, growth strategies for restaurants and retailers, where we find industry leaders to share their secrets to grow your business. This podcast is sponsored by Ovation, the actionable guest feedback tool that works on or off premise and is easy, real time, and actually drives revenue. Learn more at OvationUp.com. Welcome to another edition of Give an Ovation. I am joined today by Lindsay Hole, the CEO of Dispatch Goods, a Techstars-backed reusable container marketplace. And while she is based in SF, San Francisco, uh, she's really a surfer at heart. She uh, worked as the former statewide coordinator for the ocean-friendly restaurant program in Hawaii. She's kind of like this tech-centered, eco-friendly, hard-working beach bum uh, all the best things of all those things combined into one. Lindsay, thanks for taking some time to chat with us on Give Innovation today. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's really exciting to be here. So first of all, the uh, the Bay Area, I lived there a couple of times. Waves aren't very good. So what, <laughs> what are oh, you doing? Oh, I disagree. Yeah. Oh, I I'm talking uh, about the actual Bay. <laughs> oh, um, so the Bay has no waves, but Ocean Beach does. Um, it's pretty in good. Fact, Oh yeah. Ocean beach can be world-class. There's been a couple, uh, like, uh, big surf tournaments here. Um, the Bay has no waves, but ocean beach about six months a year can really fire. In fact, it gets super big in the winter. It gets to be like, uh, double to quadruple overhead. Um, when Mavericks is breaking, um, I don't surf those days. I surf the shoulder seasons at, at ocean beach. Uh, so the winter is when it gets really big, but, um, yeah, I actually really like surfing in cold water. No, um, you don't, Lindsay. Yeah, I do. Oh my gosh. Ah. <laughs> yeah. I like like the the like the rawness of Ocean Beach because it's just like you and Mother Nature at it. Yeah. Um, versus where things can be a little bit more um, I, I would say lower barrier to entry uh, in certain places like Hawaii, um, but a lot more crowd. So you end up competing with humans versus like the elements. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I guess that's true. I've been I've been run over by a couple of surfers there in Hawaii. That's uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Happy. Wrong wrong place, wrong time at the North Shore. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, us Hallie's got to get out of the way. All so, right. okay, so let's talk a little bit about dispatch goods. So it's a reusable container marketplace. Help us understand what does that mean. Yeah. So dispatch goods um, really is building the reverse logistics to support basically resale of products that can be reused. So what I mean by that is we have long thought there needs to exist what we call a fourth bin. After your trash compost and recycling bins, there needs to be another bin that um, you can put other items into for reuse. And some of those items are packaging that we own. So dispatch goods provides steel packaging to restaurants. And then we basically resell it back to our partners. Um, or it could be other items that just are currently entering our linear waste stream, but don't need to be. So we've identified some kind of products that customers told us, I feel really guilty about this product. And we collect them in those same kind of collection routes that we're collecting the steel containers. Um, an example of that is the freezer packs that go into a lot of the grocery delivery boxes. Mm -hmm. uh, people are stockpiling those because they don't know what to do with them. And we take them and we wash them and then we sell them back to companies like Imperfect Foods and um, Zero Grocery. 
Super cool. So I get, as a consumer, I order from a restaurant and the, the packaging that it comes in is a steel container. Yep. And then you come by, get the steel container yep. and then clean it while up we're and, there, and yeah, sell while it back. We're there, we'll collect other stuff too. Um, and so, yeah, then we take it back to our warehouse and in processing facilities. Very cool. So let's talk about the cost of sustainability. Um, because there are a lot of people who, you know, you hear that and you think, well, yeah, that makes sense. And then you're like, but wait, there's like a lot of logistics and a lot of stuff involved. This sounds very expensive. So let's talk about what, what is the cost of sustainability and where, where is that cap? Yeah. So we started off charging the customer more for getting the steel packaging. We call it the avocado upcharge. Um, Mm -hmm. and we thought that if people are willing to pay more for oat milk and, um, you know, in a lot of instances, plant-based meats, then those same consumers would be willing to pay more for better packaging. And our hypothesis was largely right. We were, we were often the most uh, popular modifier on the menu, but, um, restaurants already have a lot of like operational complexity. And we kept hearing from restaurants that they just wanted to completely replace their packaging with our packaging. Um, but $1.99 per item is too much for restaurants to cover the cost. What we discovered is that with uh, shifting restaurants to all dispatch packaging, we got a lot more volume and density uh, from those partners that we were able to lower the cost. And now we're getting pretty close to like the plant fiber compostable packaging um, from a cost standpoint. And what's crazy is we talk about the logistics of reuse and it sounds very daunting, but if you look at the logistics of recycling, it's actually not much different. What they have is the benefits of scale. And so that's where the chicken egg problem is with reuse is how do you get enough local density and scale that the economics start to make sense in the, uh, you know, um, in the long run so that you can amortize all those logistics costs over a lot of items versus just one or two items. So right now on average, we're collecting 10.3 items per stop. So our collection uh, costs, that what it costs us to come and drive to a house um, is at least spread over 10 items versus mm-hmm. it being one or two items. And we only collect in every neighborhood once a week, just like recyclers do. So our house, our stops are really close together. Got it. And so that's how we've been able to lower the logistics costs over the past year and a half. Um, and it's, it's getting better every week. Um, and just in October, we actually launched a program where even if you don't have our steel bowls, you can send us other items for, for what we call upcycling, like those freezer packs, uh, deli containers, some other items that we've identified that we can reuse. And now people can just schedule collection um, to uh, send us other things that they've often been hoarding and feeling really guilty about. So you guys are kind of like, you know, you're a step above the garbage man, a step below a thrift store. <laughs> is that is that <laughs> um, what I'm getting? We call ourselves like a garbage concierge service. <laughs> like a fancy, I'm like a fancy garbage woman. Yeah, love that. Yeah. So is that... Um, so obviously the, the real trick of this is the, you know, the marketplace, right? Where you need to get a good amount of density in a specific area yep. in order for the economics to work out. So yep. how, how are you expanding and where are you currently? Yeah. So we're in the Bay area. We started in San Francisco. Now we're in Oakland, Berkeley, Alameda, Mill Valley. We'll be expanding more in Northern California over the next um, months. Um, and we get local density by partnering with local brick and mortars. Uh, so that's kind of the easiest way to have local density in one region is, you know, people in New York aren't buying food from local San Francisco restaurants. So, Mm -hmm. um, we can actually kind of 
uh, target the restaurants that are local players and local chains um, and get them on board so that they're helping to create the, the density kind of in a neighborhood to neighborhood way. Um, and so that's how we've done it. And um, it's been really interesting to see how one large high volume restaurant can impact the density in a neighborhood so quickly. It helps us understand the market penetration that each you know, individual restaurant has. Um, so it's been really cool, but as we, you know, expand to other geographies, we'll have that kind of same recipe, which is look for local chains and local partners to, to help drive density early. Got it. And, you know, I'm a restaurant tour in Sheboygan. Okay. I, it's going to be a long time before dispatch goods really makes it into Sheboygan as something that I can use. Um, so two questions, one, what do I do in the meanwhile? And two, what do I do if I want dispatch goods to come to Sheboygan? Yeah. So one thing we're working towards is having those businesses be able to at least buy upcycled packaging. Even if we don't have the logistics to recollect it, they can buy stuff that is upcycled versus made of virgin materials. So that's one thing that's actionable that will be actionable in the short term. Um, I would say that as a restaurant in any, uh, in any community, the first thing you can look to is like, is there any single use for dine-in? That's a solvable problem that every restaurant can take on. So at first kind of look at what you can control, which is all your dine-in, you know, it's surprising to see how many, um, paper products are still existing or plastic products are still existing for the dine-in experience when really, um, almost every restaurant has dishwashing capabilities. And even if they don't dishwashers, you can lease for pretty cheap in the economics of using reuse over single use, um, even with an upfront investment in like a dishwasher are really favorable towards reuse. So restaurants will generally save money if they shift to reusables for, for dine-in, um, for every single thing in their, in their product. So like, you know, if you can avoid ketchup packets with bottles, um, and, um, all glass and ceramic ware versus anything single use, that's like a low hanging fruit. Um, yeah. And especially, you know, with these, with these dishwashers and things like that, a lot of these restaurants are worried about breakage and loss. And especially with things like glassware, they'll replace it with paperware because with the breakage, it ends up being cheaper. But, you know, especially if you have a fast casual restaurant, like things like Melamine, right, where you are, it, it's not very easy to break it. It's very yeah. durable, lasts for a long time. Like there's other things that you can do in store as opposed to just, you know, killing baby seals, right? Completely. And honestly, <laughs> I mean, sincerely, we work with a lot of nonprofits that specialize in getting restaurants transitioned to reusables for dine-in. Um, so people can reach out to me and I'm happy to connect them with the right people to think through the product choices. But yeah, Corel has really good, durable, lightweight, um, kind of, it's a vitrile material glass, um, and, you know, single use plastics are bad, but reusable plastics have their place in the world. And um, for, for fast casual restaurants that maybe don't want um, anything that's breakable or really high value that people might steal, um, that's where uh, reusable plastics can be a, a piece of the solution. Yeah, I love that. So the, the idea that consumers are willing to spend more for reusable. I've read all sorts of stats and studies on that. Is that true, Lindsay? You kind of hinted at this earlier, but is that is that actually the case? Yeah. So when we were charging $1.99 per menu item, we captured about 5 to 15% of customers that were paying more for the reusables. Sorry, did you say $1.99 per menu item? Yep. That is that is not a cheap amount of money. No. 
Um, and some, um, some, uh, restaurants just did $5 for the full order. Um, and so we let them pick the way, but yeah, it was, um, we were shocked at how large, uh, of a consumer base would add on the additional, uh, fee. Cause that, you're right. That's not insignificant. That's a 10% or so upcharge for our packaging. Um, and now we're at a place where, you know, if restaurant, if we're more than what they're paying, it's maybe 20 or 30 cents. So some restaurants have raised their menu prices so far, every single restaurant that we've been able to track has had top line revenue growth after partnering with us, not the opposite. So even if they've raised their prices, uh, their volume's grown because customers are not participating in takeout and delivery because they feel really guilty. And it's really, we have, we have the opportunity to alleviate eco guilt and that makes customers feel better about the kind of convenience choices that they're making for, for ordering takeout and delivery. And do you think that this is going to be something where as you expand, you're going to look for places that, uh, you know, you can't really expand everywhere at once, right? So as you pick your next locations, is there some psychographics that you're looking at for the area of like, do people actually care about recycling? Because I know that there are some areas where recycling doesn't even exist as like a, as a service, you know what I mean? There's yeah. The, so. yeah. So about 58% of Americans pay for curbside recycling. So we look for geographies where recycling rates are high. Um, and now increasingly, California is um, basically mandating that everyone has to do curbside compost now. Mm-hmm. I feel like the writing's on the wall for this, this shift. Uh, California also just passed some legislation that um, really creates a wide open space for reuse programs like ours, which is awesome. Um, so uh, I would say we have policy tailwinds and uh, the consumer awareness is increasing rapidly about waste and the problem with yeah. uh, recycling. Um, totally. So, yeah. So I, I, rem- I remember I lived next to a guy in San Francisco and uh, his end of the week on Sunday night when we, we all set out our trash, he would set out one Chinese to go bag and it would have the stacks of all of his like Chinese to go boxes. Uh-huh. And that was the entire, his entire trash for the entire week fit in one grocery bag. But thinking like, this is someone who would be a perfect candidate, uh, you know, for these reusable disposable packaging, um, reusable or disposable, because yeah, I mean, like think of that waste that he's doing and yeah, it's not a lot, but now you multiply that out and, there's, yeah. there's a lot of that junk sitting in landfills that doesn't need to be. That's right. I mean, it really, it's a logistics problem and, and it's a, a wicked problem in that there's so many components that you have to solve for, which is why everyone knows about the problem and the problem still hasn't been solved, uh, which yeah. are the hardest problems to solve. But um, it's exciting because, you know, we've already, um, you know, grown really quickly from where we were last year. Uh, you know, we were doing like a thousand items a month. And now we're doing 50 to 60,000 items a month that we're processing. So it's been a really, really exciting growth trajectory because people are like, please help us. Like there's so much that we are feeling guilty about. And that's what I think that businesses are starting to realize. So we, we work with uh, two business types, restaurants generally, and also direct to consumer um, like grocery and meal delivery, delivery services. Mm-hmm. And what those delivery services know that restaurants aren't completely aware of yet is that consumers are churning because of packaging waste. Because the direct-to-consumer um, businesses have that feedback loop of, of what's, you know, like why customers are or aren't continuing memberships or continuing to order. So there's a lot of movement in that space. 
Um, and restaurants, um, I think have a, like traditionally less uh, visibility into where, what, why their customers are coming back or not coming back. Right. Um, the more information that we can send to restaurants about uh, why their customers are excited or what they're not excited about. Now we're in a place where restaurants have that data to be able to understand, oh, if I shift my packaging, um, we can, you know, like increase our top line revenue. And so one, uh, one guy we've been talking to was the founder of the Insular Cup, which is the, it was a double walled paper cup uh, that McDonald's uh, shifted for, uh, to after they had been using styrofoam. And this is how much people care about packaging. So this was in the probably early 2000s when Starbucks was like getting, uh, starting to really take a lot of the McDonald's breakfast business. And uh, one restaurant group or one McDonald's franchise owner in um, the Midwest state tried the Insulator Cup uh, instead of the McDonald's Styrofoam uh, Cup. Uh And they grew their entire McDonald's top line revenue by 12% after switching to the cup. No because people way. had been feeling so guilty about the styrofoam that they weren't going to McDonald's. And after that, McDonald's switched all their stores to uh, the Insulator paper cup because people were feeling like it was a better experience and they felt less bad about it. It was less toxic. And wow. I think that now we're seeing that same shift with single use to reusables. And um, it's really exciting to continue to get data and understand like, yeah, how consumers change their behavior when, when they can feel good top to bottom about what, what the choices that they're making. Love that. So Lindsay, what are the most important aspects of guest experience nowadays? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I think that um, in the takeout and delivery space, um, it's both the guests and the restaurants that see this problem in that the experience is not exactly what you get in a restaurant, even though the prices are the same. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that we like to, um, you know, talk about is that reusables also offer a better, more elevated dining experience that more closely emulates the dine-in. So like, because our packaging is reusable, we're able to add a few more features um, like ventilated lids. Uh, We have thermal bags so that the food stays hotter. It has characteristics that keep food crispy. And so now like one of the, in all the end customer interviews we do, we always ask like, what was the most delightful thing? And our hypothesis was everyone's going to be like, oh, sustainability. And people are like, the containers are really nice. (laughs) (laughs) It it feels like my food's hotter. Um, And so we realized that people, since they're investing more and more like money and takeout and delivery than, you know, before all the food delivery apps came to market. Now what they're looking for is like, yeah, this is close to the dining experience, but not there. And, And we can help get a step closer. Exactly. I love that. It's always, you know, because it is a different experience, but you still yeah. need to treat it with the same amount of care that you would a dining experience, right? Yeah. That's why, you know, we have so many customers who really care about that digital table touch of how was everything? Because yeah. how do you replicate that hospitality yes. off-prem, right? Yeah, that's So right. outside of using dispatch goods, what other successful things have you uh, seen restaurants do lately? Um. Oh, in the space in general, that's a really good question. So, um, yeah, I would say that, you know, we're seeing in the same Bay area crowd, um, a lot more plant-based options. Um, Hamama, have you tried them? Uh, Sorry, what? Have you seen Hamama? I haven't tried them. Oh, they're a great, like micro green startup. Amazing. Very cool company, but sorry, keep going. Yeah. So um, what, uh, like when we launched with our first restaurant that shifted to completely reusable packaging, Zuni, um, they said that 
for the first time ever, the vegetarian options were the higher, like they were becoming the most popular menu items. And so they expanded their menu to have more plant-based and vegetarian options because the customer base was overlapping with, uh, with our reasonable packaging customer base. So, um, we've noticed an enormous shift in like, um, fewer, like kind of red meats and more plant-based meats, fish and chickens. So like more climate friendly, climate friendly foods. Um, so it's awesome to see this, this whole like climate shift happening, uh, in the dining experience. And I think that it's again, like attracting customers that were not participating in takeout and delivery because there weren't enough vegetarian options for them as well. I love that. So who deserves innovation in the restaurant industry today? So I actually want to give an innovation to Nate Norris, who was the who is the chef de cuisine at Zuni Cafe, the first restaurant to shift to 100% dispatch packaging. Um, Zuni is a San Francisco staple. They are um, activists and the voice for those that don't have a voice in, in the Bay Area. Um, and really, I would say bold in the decision makes the decision making that they do for their restaurant and the impact it has on the community. Love that. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna reach out to Nate and uh, give him that ovation. Now, how do people find, follow you, your brand, or restaurants that are using Dispatch Goods? Yeah, so if you go to dispatchgoods.com, you can see all of our restaurants uh, there, and um, they can follow. We are pretty active on Instagram. We do a lot of reels and TikToks, too, so if you want to watch our videos about, like, just our perspective on the climate space, but, like, hopefully in an entertaining way, um, it's dispatch underscore goods. Um, and then, yeah, feel free to find me on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. Well, Lindsay, for helping this world get just a little bit better and for helping us catch the wave of making a better environment, today's ovation goes to you. Thank you so much for joining us on Giving Ovation. Thank you so much, Zach. This was really fun. Glad you're with us today and thank you. Thank you to the risk takers, the troublemakers, the crazies who are keeping this world clothed and fed. You're the ones who deserve an ovation. Again, this podcast was sponsored by Ovation. To see how we can help you grow your business, go to OvationUp.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, remember to give someone in your life an ovation today.